Good evening. That is not going to work. I am, I've been in church way too much today. Good evening. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. It's good to be part of it, uh, to celebrate together my wife and I. My wife was born in Staples, Minnesota. And uh, when she's angry with me, she reverts to some kind of illegal Norwegian. I'm not sure what I get <laughs> talked to about it. So uh, we have had family here. I've been part of North Central. I have been ability to uh, hang out with my nephew, who is an awesome pastor. Five generations in my family uh, ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One time, while some of my uncles were living, at one time there were 28 of us uh, ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thinking of the 100-year anniversary, about 100 years ago, uh, this, this old people share stories like this, so be patient. We're going to get a sermon, and I don't preach long if I get amens. Yeah, it works every time. Every time. So my great-grandmother, Grandma Kobrecker from southern Illinois, uh, got saved in a revival, and since no men would start churches, Grandma Kobrecker would get on a horseback, and she would start a Sunday school in a church until a man had the courage to take it over. Five of the first Assemblies of God in southern Illinois, she founded and pioneered, and she lived to be about 100. And I'll never forget, I'd go see her. She was, she was German, German, Kohlbrecker. She came from the old land, and I'd walk in, and I was pastoring a church, and a large church, you know, and traveling, and she, I'd see her, she was like 90-something and washing the walls, and I'd look at her, hey, Grandma. She says, Randall, are you serving Jesus? I said, Grandma, I pastor a large church. I'm a Pentecostal. I speak in tongues. She said, I don't ask you what you do for a living. I ask you. Are you serving Jesus Christ? And I, for the night, for the, tonight I want to talk about that. I know you're, many of you are volunteers, are serving, we like to call it serving and pastors. How many of you uh, are, are serving somewhere in the local church? Let me see your hands. Can you raise your hands? Three of you, really, in a church like this? If, if you're serving, let me see your hands. All right, all right. help me out now. This is, this is not planned. I'm just, I'm just cruising because it's, it's, Friday, it's, it's Friday night. How many of you work with junior hires? All right, give them all a big hand. Junior higher people, junior, working with junior high is harder than going to the Congo and dying by arrows. I mean, after a retreat, I watched the junior high leaders come into church and they're kind of dragging in their hair. They could care less about makeup. They got lipstick on their forehead. They don't, they don't even care. And yet they give time to the most precious generation around. How many of you are involved in nursery and children's ministry? Yeah, once you get in, you never get out. You might as well just get used to it because you're done, man. You are in that nursery till someone comes and takes you home. You know, I mean, it's, it's really something. Anybody here in, in, in the choir or music teams, whatever, any musicians here? Not many are saved. That's why they're not here tonight. They just kind of, few of them, a few of them raised their, their hands on it. How many pastors made it back tonight? Any pastors not going out to the movies or doing something? Most of them are gone. I want you to take a notice that your pastor's not here, and I know the difference. So you tell them I'm looking for them on it. I love, I love ministry. I really, I love these moments. I, our church was built, uh, uh, thousands of people, but every weekend, every week I should say, because service went all week long, about 2,500 people uh, served in ministry, whether it's greetings or a parking lot. And you know, any, when you're a parking lot attendant in a large church, 
uh, you got to make sure they're safe. First of all, I don't care if a volunteer is saved or not at first, as long as they're not doing anything spiritual. But I never let them in the parking lot because if they get killed, the blood's on me, you know, while Christians are trying to leave and stuff. So, you know, and we would do this. And I, I found out that just because you serve does not mean you're having a good time. The fact it doesn't mean that you're even serving Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're not trying. If you know the story of Mary and Martha, you know, the story about Martha was banging the plates. And having a long-term ministry family, you know, a lot of ministry generations, watching my friends serve and do well and so many get angry and hurt. And serving is hard work, folks. Serving is a business of hard work. I got to tell you, the temptations are there, the unhappy people are there, the unappreciation. And so in this ministry time that I've had, I, I, I really kind of asked God to do one thing, that's to guard my heart, to keep me on track. My whole goal of ministry was nothing to do with the size church I pastored or how famous I was or whatever else. I asked God, because I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of my story in just a few minutes. I said, God, I will go in the, I, I did not want to go in the ministry. I, I, I saw a minister, I didn't want it. But I said, I will if you give me one word from you, Lord, and that is, I won't lose my love for you when I'm done. And I'm almost done. I've been pastoring now for 96 years. <laughs> and I'm doing, <laughs> I want to share with you a scripture tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. And I, uh, that is, man, you got to make it bigger because I can't read that. I've had eye surgery. All right, yes, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. Let's stand together, get a break before I, we get going on this. And I'm going to try to read this with my eyes. If we can do a bit. Oh, behind me. Oh, excuse my back for a second. <laughs> Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. These are talking about people who hate volunteers. For who it is who we are, the circumcision, we who serve God by spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, has zeal persecuting the church. Listen to this has for righteousness based on law, perfect, faultless. Only one ever said they kept the law. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider them lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain. Come on, say on. Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Here we go the text. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, becoming likeness in him death, and so somehow obtaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus 
has taken hold of me. Pray with me. Lord, we had a great day, and we're just family tonight. We just ask you by the Holy Spirit to do what you did in the New Testament. When two or three gathered, your spirit came. There was a word given, there was worship, there was dancing of joy, there was tears as we prayed for healing, and you encouraged your people to endure the hardships of the first generation. May that same spirit who raised Christ from the dead, who empowered the church to overcome all obstacles and to serve with joy and righteousness be with us tonight as we encourage each other in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. I went to Indiana University first and Ohio State University when I came to Jesus. I'll tell a little bit about that. Majoring in clinical psychology, and God called me to the ministry. I went to CBC. Uh, there, I went from 60,000 O-H-I-O and Woody Hayes. You don't know that. You're from Minnesota. <laughs> to 300 students studying the Word of God. And only, I, I did it all in two years because I had all those other credits and I, I, I graduated. I also did graduate elsewhere, but that's not the point. When I was in college and you're in Bible school, they make you take a class to graduate called uh, homiletics. Now, you don't know homiletics. Homiletics is a word that tries to say to learn how to preach. It's a good, it's a good class. Uh, it's boring and it's dull and it, and it seems useless, but it's, it's, it's good training. So I'm in there, and of course, I'm, I'm full of myself a little bit and praying, and so I have been dealing with a scripture a text, a thing in my life because I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of not failing in ministry because I didn't want ministry. I was afraid of letting Jesus down. So I was praying, Lord, I want to know my purpose. I want to know the most important thing that I've got to do. What's my purpose Lord, what, what is my one major goal in all the world? What, what, what should I give my life to? Never know. I'd live this long. I thought for sure the rapture was going to come. If I knew Jesus was going to wait this long, I'd taken better care of myself, really. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you old people told us he was coming, right? <laughs> and I got there, and I began, I, I, I got it, and I, I, I based my very first sermon on this text. I got a C-. minus which is the lowest grade they could give you without breaking your heart. <laughs> but it stuck to me, and it's the fact, it's a rule. If you ever have one of my books, I signed them all in, in this scripture, Philippians chapter 3, 10 and 11. I count all things but loss that I may know him. So I want to ask you a question. I know, you're, I know this sounds ridiculous. It's really inappropriate. I don't know why I'm doing this thing, but I feel I need to. So will you stay with me for about 20 minutes? Can I hear a good amen? amen. Do you know Jesus? No, no, I didn't say, are you saved? Didn't say if you work. I didn't say if you're going to heaven. Can you say, if people ask you, who is Jesus? What is he? How is it? Who is it? Is this a true false? What prophet is this? Do, do you know Jesus Christ? It's amazing how little we ask that because we always relate it to salvation or something else along the way, but that's not what Paul meant at all. I want you to look at what he didn't say his goal was. 
He didn't say his best goal, his great goal was to be a preacher or even a prayer warrior. Who wouldn't say that was spiritual? He didn't say, I want to win everybody in the world. He didn't say, I want to be on Twitter. He didn't say, I want to pastor a church. He simply said, everything else except that knowledge is dumb, it's waste, it's garbage. What did he mean? Do you know him? He says, all those things outside of him are stupid. He said, my family, five generations. That's why I told you. I'm not bragging. It's just true. Five generations of ministers. Heritage out the kazoo. We got it. Paul said, that's nothing. I won't save you. God could care less. It's who you are. He said, I was born in the right family. As a Pharisee, those perfect lawgivers, I was assemblies of God heart. Well, I was there, man. Pure, pure righteous. I didn't go to movies, chew, go with the drink with those who do. You know, I didn't do any of that nonsense stuff. When I was growing up, you didn't go to a bowling alley, you didn't do all that stuff. He didn't say, he said, no. That my zeal, my angry passion, you know how many angry Christians serve? My anger, passion to the zeal of a person who's accused, church, unreproachable. I did it. He said, everything I had, everything I had, my education, my whole thing, matters nothing compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, of whom I have not yet obtained full knowledge, but I press on for the mark that in the end, when I stand before Jesus, I'm going to hear him say, well done, here's your reward. Paul, the apostle, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who defended for us the salvation we believe in by faith versus law, which was the battle of that time, who stood against all the hypocrites and all the wizards and stuff that tried to take over, Paul said, I did it because of one thing. I dedicated myself to knowing Jesus. It'll help you to know that the word knowing here isn't head knowledge or salvation knowledge. It's a marriage term. It's intimacy. When the King James Version says when Adam knew his wife, he wasn't meaning I heard her talk. I know, it's a, I know it's a tough crowd, but think about it for a second. It means I know someone, so I know their voice. My sheep know my voice, and they will not follow another, and they will never be misled. They will not listen to false messiahs, because they know me. Married 47 years, ladies and gentlemen, to a Norwegian. That is a prize. I never deserved her, beautiful girl. Raised a Lutheran, so she had no baggage to bring. She didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. She just went to church in the Lutheran church. I know her. I know when she's mad when I turn the corner in the neighborhood. There's a cloud that kind of settles. I remember one time I pulled up to the house, true. Pulled up to the house. My son was coming out in high school. He said, Dad, don't go in now. <laughs> Jessica and Mom are having it again. I know her. She says she's not mad. I know when she's mad. I know what she likes. I know what she wants to dress. I know what she wants. Even when she says, I don't care, I know she does care. I know her so well that we almost can trade thoughts. I can pick her out of a crowd. I can hear her voice when she decides to talk. 100 feet away. She's Norwegian. They don't talk two people or a crowd to a Norwegian. 
I know her. I know her so well that my life depends on her. Never want anybody else. Never could get anybody else, but that's another whole story. <laughs> that's a good thing it worked out that way. I never want anybody else. Never had an affair. Never kissed another woman. Never had an affair because I fear her. God is gracious and merciful. She is not. Easy to serve faithfully when you know judgment lies at the door. I know her. And that's what Jesus says. I need you to spend time to go deep with me and to know me intimately and to know my voice because in the last days, false prophets and evil teachers will abound and the love of most will grow cold. Not many. It's a compromised text. Most. Deceivers will come, Paul says, in the house. Silly lady. How are they going to get in the houses? Television. And we'll deceive them. People will have itching ears to hear what they want to hear. And there will be plenty of people who will tell you what you want to hear. you got to know me. It's not a joke, folks. It's not just a kid. It's not just junior high sermon. Do you know Jesus? I thought I knew Jesus growing up, preacher's kid, raised in the church. I lived in the church, literally. We're from here to there to the church. We lived in the church. We played in the church. We clanged. We cleaned the church. My brother Rick, who's listening now, superintendent of North Carolina, we jumped off the balcony together. We swam in the baptismal pool when no one was watching together. We cut the lawn together. We jumped off the roof together. We destroyed things together. I lived in church. We went to church every day. There's nothing else to do. You didn't go to church. You guys think you're going to church now. We went to church on Saturday for prayer, Sunday morning before Sunday school, Sunday school, service, dinner afterwards because we were Italians and you have to cook from scratch. It lasted until four. Then CA meeting started and everybody over 60 could come for the youth service. Then we had evening service and then if it wasn't too late and dad didn't give all the money into the offering, which he did a lot, we would go to McDonald's. Mom and dad never let us out of the car. We were not trustworthy to be in a restaurant. We went to church. People slept at our house. I sleep under the table. Never had, I mean, I, we didn't know the difference. We lived in church every Sunday night. I got saved every Sunday night. You had to get saved to get out of the building. The altar call kept coming until your turn came. Have you thought a bad thought today? Okay, here we go. Lord, Lord, I promise today I will serve you. Today, for the rest of my life, I am yours. Monday morning at class, there came the cheerleaders walking in with their uniforms, and I backslid, and now I got to wait till Sunday to make sure I'm going to heaven again. You think I'm making this up, don't you? Just because it's exaggerated doesn't mean it's not true. Teenage years, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing out with religion, man. I, I, I had the baptism. I was, you know, got baptized. I, there came a time when I just said, Lord, I think I'm destined for hell. I think I'm going to hell, so I might as well enjoy the ride. I remember, I remember the day. I, 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 folks, I don't want to go to hell. 
but I couldn't make it. Why was I going to waste what years I had? And I began to do some bad things. When Indiana University, I majored in pre-med biochemistry, second in my class. That was until someone gave me LSD. It was the 70s. I heard sermons about drinking, going to movies, and swearing, but I never heard a sermon against LSD. I took LSD. That's what I was made for. You know, the thing about, what am I doing? You okay? I thought you said my arm was off or something. Okay. The, thi the thing about LSD is, this is how I preach, folks. If you think this is unusual, this is me. All right, hey, he's, he's itching, he's looking at his clock and stuff. Think about LSD, folks. Listen, seriously, it's the worst thing there is. You know why? Because when you're drunk, you know you're drunk. When you're stoned, you know you're stoned. But when you're on LSD, you think you're in reality. I didn't do LSD once in a while. I did LSD four times, five times a week, every night as a pre-med major. And I got to tell you, it didn't work out well. I began, I obviously lost my faith. I became a Zen Buddhist. Studied with them, did the whole thing, then that didn't work. I became an atheist. This is in the, you know, uh, Indiana University. They joined the SDS. The SDS is what you see downtown Minneapolis. We're the ones who rioted and burned and hurt. It's just our life. When you're full of anger and you're full of hate, you do things. One day I went, I took a double triple hit of something and I didn't come down. I had a, what they call a bad trip. I was up on a rooftop and I thought I was Superman. I could fly five stories up. My friends were egging me on. I was the party man. I was the party man. I would, I would get up there sometimes and threaten God. I said, you know, I'm a, they knew I was a preacher's kid, you know, so I swore more, fought more, hurt more, did more. I'd put cigarette on top of my head and say, if there's a God in heaven, strike me now, God. Yeah, I'm a preacher's kid. That night, I was going to jump off the roof and fly. I knew I could fly. And as I was getting ready to run, to gospel truth, folks, I heard the voice of my mother, who is a prayer warrior, was, and my grandma. When I was in high school and I was in trouble drinking at the end, wrestling and then coming home, I'd come over there in the morning, I'd find mom laying across the door of my bedroom, praying in the spirit, didn't even know I was there. She just prayed, God, save my kid. She tried to stop me one time and I, I, I did stuff to her that I, would, I, I can't, I regret 50 years later. I'm gonna jump off. Suddenly a voice came, don't do this. Don't do this, Randall. And for the first time in my life, I didn't do what I said I would do. I turned around and said, no, not tonight. I'm not jumping. I never came down. Folks, it was the most horrible thing in the world. I had insects under my skin, I thought, and they were crawling, so I was bleeding. I was trying to get the bugs out of my skin. I couldn't remember anything. I saw demons coming out of the floor. I thought I was in hell. I thought I was gone. When I finally got somewhat together, about 48 hours later, it was the finals in my biochemistry, and I couldn't remember my name. I called my dad, who I hadn't talked to for a while. My dad 
was leading Teen Challenge of Cleveland, Ohio, while his son was doing this. I said, Dad, I gotta come home. He said, I'll pick you up. He showed up and he saw me and I was so emaciated and filthy in the room, he walked out. And he had to take a breather and come back in. I go in the back of the car, his station wagon, true story. And he takes me home, Rick's there, Rick is, could verify, he's online, he could probably verify most of this. Got there, I went to my room, and I was so mortified. I was the top of my class. I told them I could do it without God, and here I am at age 19 and over. I stayed in my room all day long. No one was allowed to touch me. No one said anything. And at nighttime, I'd roam the streets, just like a mat, just roam the streets, come back in. Christmas Eve, the family asked me to come down. They had the, you know, back in the day of the aluminum Christmas trees, you remember those? With the little flywheel color wheel and the wallpaper with velour and metal on it. It doesn't help someone on a trip. I wouldn't come down. They go to bed sometime in the morning. I walk down when it's, when it's quiet, put on the only thing I ever loved most outside of the time I met Jesus was Jimi Hendrix, still the best guitarist in the world. I know he wasn't saved and he died, but he was good. I put him on and I was taking my life. Nothing to live for. Folks, I don't know if you believe in miracles. But I can tell you the truth. I knelt down and I heard a voice. It was God's voice. First time God spoke to me. Me. And he says, Randall, don't do this. Give me another chance. And I was started crying. Why would God want another chance? I'm the one that needs a chance if anybody does. So my prayer of salvation was simply. Lord, if you are who you say you are, you do what you say you're going to do, you better save me now, or otherwise uh, I'll meet you in hell. That was my salvation prayer. Don't try that one in church on Sunday. <laughs> Fact, folks, doesn't happen to everybody. It's not supposed to happen to everybody, but I had intercessors around me all my life. Immediately, my mind came back, just back to clarity. The Holy Spirit filled me, kneeling down at the Christmas tree. Christ, and I can't tell you from how empty to know that you know that you know that Christ is alive in you. I had heard about it. People talked about it. I never saw it. I never believed it. I thought it was working hard for Jesus, trying for Jesus, not doing bad things for Jesus, holding on till the end for Jesus. And all of a sudden, the peace and the love of God and Jesus, the, the Jesus, came into my heart, and I rose a different man. I went upstairs and prayed and read the Bible all night long. I came down on Christmas Day. Now, put yourself on my parents. Hair down to here, about 125 pounds of nothing. And I come down, I come down the next morning, Christmas Day, with the Bible under my arm and saying, praise God, Mom and Dad, Jesus is good, isn't he? Have you read this book? This is awesome. My parents are ministers. <laughs> True. Rick said, I hated you. I thought you were crazy. We ought to commit you. I liked you more as a sinner. Changed my life. 
I didn't just get saved, folks. I was in reality. I wrote letters to the postman, Jesus loves you. I, I went on the street and preached. I did all the stuff that we call stupid nowadays. I did it all because I had no choice. He was alive. He was real. I know him. I've known him when he's silent. I've known him when I've cried through painful surgeries. I've known him when I've buried little children in the church. I've known him in success. And I know him when I go home tonight and lay on my little bed that the same Jesus who redeemed me will see me to the end. I want to ask you. I'm asking if you're serving. Are you still in love with Jesus? Come on up, guys, and let's, let's, let's play. I mean, really. Do you spend, do you love time with him? Do you slow down when you read the word of God? Do you enjoy a moment just being in his arms? Do you know him? Or has that become too uncool? Is that too simple for us anymore? Because what folks, the world doesn't need more religion. If religion was going to save the world, it had been saved a long time ago. Can I hear an amen? If sermons were going to save the world, they'd been saved a long time ago. They're good. This is, this is what we do. It's what God tells us to do. But what changes the world are people who live in daily contact and radiate and breathe by the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus Christ. Sometimes in our mind, we make up a great big thing about our relationship. We love to brag about our friendships, don't we? When I was a kid, John F. Kennedy, one of my heroes, was coming through Girard, Ohio, where we lived. My dad pastored. And I loved John F. Kennedy. He was everything I wanted to be. Everything I wanted to be. He was president. He was handsome. He was rich. He had a beautiful, you know, he was just, it was Camelot, remember? And I said, Mom and Dad, can I go downtown while that cavalcade is coming through? He was driving that big, you know, in that big Cadillac came through. And he said, yeah, but don't get in trouble. Yeah, fat chance, right? So I get down there. There's the rope. There's security. And I'm there. And there's John F. Kennedy coming right down with Jacqueline right down the road. And I did something that I just had to do because I loved John F. Kennedy. Never met him. I went under the rope, ran to the car. I get shot nowadays. And I reached out, and for a moment, I touched the hand of John F. Kennedy. You, ladies and gentlemen, can look at the hand. <laughs> this is the hand. For $10, I will let you touch this hand after service. No, he's messing with you. Not touching me now with the virus still on, right? But you know, in my mind, I blew up this whole friendship deal. We were best buddies by the time I went to school the next day. President Kennedy was going to invite me in to solve the Cuban crisis. Oh, John and I were buddies. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. But I had a moment in a service. And I went my way. No, that's not Christianity, folks. That's religion. I, I, I thank God people get saved like that. This is not preaching salvation. You know you're saved. You better be saved. This is people who need in this world, if you're going to serve and serve and love and put up and get hurt, you got to be deep 
in Jesus Christ. The world's gonna hurt you. People will not appreciate you. And if you don't do it for Jesus, you're gonna turn bitter. You're gonna give up. And you're gonna miss the greatest reward in the world and having Jesus smile on you and say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I didn't give you much, but you were faithful. Enter the presence and the joy of the Lord. Would you stand with me, please? Thanks, Derek. I, I don't know why I, I did this simple thing. It's probably too simple for who you are. I, if it, if it didn't hit, I, I understand. I, I thought I had a year and a half to plan. I'm writing out notes beforehand. But I believe somebody here needed this. I've done this too long. I've been with Jesus long enough to know that when God tells you to do something, there's a reason we do it. Can I hear an amen? So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment and be quiet before the Lord. It's not for you and anybody else. We're not showing it off. We're not trying to win anything. We're not trying to get forgiven even as such. We're just trying to say, Lord, search my heart. Has the business of church taken over my heart? Do I know how to say it, but not how to feel it any longer? Have you lost your joy? Have you lost the peace? Are you secretly unrighteous? That's the simple signs that you're withering on the vine. He loves you. He loves you. He died for you. But you don't have to live that way. You don't serve that way. So with your head bowed, I'm going to say, just say, Lord, I'm coming home. I get it. Thank you for grace. Thank you for goodness. But right now, Lord, I'm not going to do it for the pastor. I'm not going to do it for church growth. I'm, I'm not going to do it for other people. I'm just going to do it for you. Whatever I do for you, Lord, is more because of what you've done for me. I love you, Jesus. I just love you, Lord. I love you because you love me when I'm mad. You love me when I'm good. You love me when I'm bad. Lord Jesus, you love me when I'm full of anger. And you love me when I'm at peace. You just love us, Lord. Thank you. We just don't tell you enough, Jesus. We just don't tell you enough how much we love you. So let's just take a moment. Let's sing a song. And we'll have a few time with the Lord.